Now there was a Pharisee named Nicodemus, a leader of the Jews. He came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do apart from the presence of God. Jesus answered him, Very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God without being born from above. Nicodemus said to him, How can anyone be born after having grown old? Can one enter a second time into the mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and spirit. What is born of the flesh is flesh, and what is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not be astonished that I said to you, you must be born from above. The wind blows where it chooses, and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? Jesus answered him, are you a teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know and testify to what we have seen, yet you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you about earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except the one who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that everyone who believes in him may not perish, but may have eternal life. Indeed, God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. The Gospel of the Lord. In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Anyone here made it your Lenten discipline to read the book of Numbers? I'm going to take that as a no. Anybody here read the book of Numbers? <laughs> oh, good. Let me tell you a little bit about the book of Numbers. Um, it's the fourth book of the Hebrew Scriptures, and it continues to follow the story of the Israelites who have left their place of bondage in Egypt um, and are going to spend the next 40 years following Moses around um, in the wilderness before coming out on the other end in the promised land. And by numbers, most of the books of the law from Leviticus are said and done with. Um, and in numbers, God decides that it's time to take a census of the people, which is why it's called numbers. There's a lot of numbers. And um, most of those numbers are real boring, but scattered about in several places are these really 
interesting little tidbits. And one of them is this um, is the story about Moses lifting up the serpent. So what you got to understand is um, Exodus is the story of God's faithfulness, right? So God is so faithful to the people of Israel that He um, convinces the Egyptians through ten plagues to let them free. And then he's so faithful that when they reach the banks of the Red Sea, God parts the Red Sea so that they can walk across on dry land. And God is so faithful that when they get um, through to the other side and they find themselves in the desert, which is barren and dry and sandy, um, he rains down manna from heaven for them to eat. And when Moses strikes a rock, water comes flowing forth for them to drink. As you and I probably would, after some years the Israelites get really cranky with all the sand and the barrenness, and they're continually complaining and whining. At least we had onions and garlic back in Egypt. We might as well be slaves. You brought us out here to die. This food is terrible. And after only so much of that, um, Moses and God get real irritated. And God sends all these venomous serpents to go and bite the people and put an end to their complaining. And some of them die and some of them just get really sick. And so God tells Moses, the people cry out and they say, oh man, we never should have whined and complained. Um, Tell God to get rid of the poisonous serpents. And so God says to Moses, make a poisonous serpent out of bronze or maybe copper and put it on a pole and lift it up in the air and whoever looks at it will be healed. Whoever, in other words, Whoever is able to look that thing that they fear the most in the face will be healed. How about that? A few hundred years later, um, after Israel had gotten settled and civilized and developed this system of kings to rule over them and govern them, um, the kings of Israel either did what was evil in the sight of the Lord or they did what was good and righteous in the sight of the Lord. And there was a, a king named Hezekiah who did what was righteous in the sight of the Lord, um, which was to knock down all the high places and tear down all the altars where the people were sacrificing to Baal, who's kind of not the, not the real God. And, but another thing that he's told to do is to break the serpent and the pole in half. Because after like four or five hundred years, this thing has been sitting in the church, in the temple, and people have been coming to pray for it for healing, but it no longer has the same power because that serpent is no longer what the people are most afraid of. What about that? The thing that might kill you is also the thing that brings you life. I think that some of our friends um, here at St. Stephen's who have ever been involved in a 12-step group might confirm that for us. It's the first few steps in recovery, right, is to look at that thing that has caused you so much grief and suffering 
as well as the people whom you've caused some grief and suffering. Or for those of you who are uh, therapists or counselors, gosh, what's the first thing you ask someone who comes in to see you as a client? I can tell you what I was asked. Why are you here? Let me hear you say it out loud. The things that might kill us can be a source of life if we turn around and look at them. Our speaker this morning in the parish hall was saying something really similar. How do we move past the racism and oppression in this country? By looking at it, by calling it out for what it is, by acknowledging it, and then coming to some place of atonement. How do we confront, as we are all going to do, the divisiveness in our city and our nation this fall? We're going to be forced to look at it. And it's only in looking at it and it's those root causes and the things and the ways that we've been hurt and the ways that we've hurt other people that we begin to find healing in life. Perhaps the climate crisis, the Syrian refugee crisis, the crises in the Middle East that John Burrish, your rector, is hearing a whole lot about. Some of our world crises is the beginning of healing about looking at the things we're afraid of. And even though that serpent is long since gone and broken in two, this is the metaphor that Jesus chooses to use, right? I'm the new serpent that will be lifted up. The person who speaks truth, sometimes hard truth, a lot of times truth that is um, so dangerous and so controversial and so hurtful to the leaders of the synagogues that hear it, that they put him to death. And it's only by looking up at Jesus at the cross that we're able to come to terms with those things and those truths that we're afraid of in our lives that once looked at will bring healing. I'm going to tell you a story from some personal experience and um, I just invite you throughout this season of Lent to think about um, perhaps some of what are those things that you might take a deeper look at. I'm an, only, I'm an oldest child. I was about to say an only child. I'm definitely not an only child. I'm an oldest child. If you're familiar with the Enneagram, I'm a one on the Enneagram, the reformer or the perfectionist. I really don't like to be imperfect. And um, recently I took another of these personality quizzes that's used a lot for business called the Clifton Strengths Finder. They give you your top five themes from which you lead. And my number one theme is achievement. Perfectionist, achiever. Mm, what am I most afraid of looking at face to face? Failure. Ooh. Gives me the heebie-jeebies. And as most of you know, um, about six years ago, um, I worked with our diocese to start a new Episcopal church on 41st Street in Avondale called the Abbey, and it started out as this combination uh, coffee shop and Episcopal worshiping community. 
And we ran the coffee shop piece for about four and a half years, and it did a lot of what we wanted it to do, which was to bring the gospel and invite people into the reconciling love of Jesus who probably wouldn't show their face at a place like St. Stephen's that's established, that looks like a church. We had a lot of people come in and be really transformed um, by that experience. And the coffee shop business always uh, sort of teetered upon the edge of self-sustaining. Never quite got over it. There were a few months that got over it. And at the beginning of 2019, our diocese was no longer to help financially keep it on the edge of self-sustaining. And around the same time, we had a whole bunch of really vulnerable employees who are coming um, to us with, with former eating disorders um, and drug addiction and were kind of facing their own serpents on poles through all kinds of different means and for different reasons. And one of them relapsed on a drug of his choosing. And that was the moment where um, we had to make a hard decision. I had to make a hard decision and say, let's let the business go. If you've ever closed a business, that's a hard thing to do. And if you're an achiever, that's a hard thing to admit. But it's been about eight or nine months, and I've mostly gotten over it. But there's a young man um, named Dimitri, who I think I've probably preached about before here at St. Stephen's. He loves to be preached about. Dimitri is chronically homeless. He's about 10 years younger uh, than I am, um, and he spent a lot of his life on the streets and in, um, before that in, in foster care, um, and he also wrestles with bipolar disorder, and when he's up on a high, he's really high, and he would be mopping the floors, and he would be um, helping us brew coffee, and he would, um, on Easter, he, he swung the incense for our Easter vigil, um, and he was just so wonderful and loving, and when when he was on a low, um, he would defriend me from Facebook and utter all kinds of um, evil against me. And uh, I think the last time I saw him, he had set fire to his Abbey t-shirt. That was about 18 months ago. And on Ash Wednesday, Dimitri reappeared. Hadn't seen him in a year and a half. And he came in, and he gave me a big hug and told me how happy he was to see me. And um, I had to relive once again the fact that the coffee shop business had closed because Dimitri didn't know it. And so I said, Dimitri, I'm so glad to see you. I've got something that you're going to be really disappointed about, but I really need to tell you. We've decided to be more of a church and less of a business. And so a few months ago, we closed this coffee shop that you have known and loved us through. And I could see the wheels turning in Dimitri's mind. He got to decide how he was going to respond to that. I think several things were going through his mind. Probably the first was, you ran out of money, didn't you? Probably the second was, your employee who had an addiction issue relapsed, didn't he? I know that he was thinking all those things. And yet he had an opportunity that he lived into, which was to love me. And he said, Katie, I believe that you made absolutely the right decision. 
You made the decision that God would want you to have made, and I'm just really glad to be here on Ash Wednesday. It was transformative. There might have been even a little bit of being born again for me. I don't know if there was for him, but there certainly was for me. A renewal of relationship. A rebirth, someone who I thought might have been dead, re-emerging in my life. And all because I was able to say to him, you know what, Dimitri, I failed. And I want to share that with you. I don't know if failure would actually kill me. I probably think that it would. But I am promised through the gospel, through the crucifixion and death and resurrection of Jesus, and you are promised as well through this symbol that Moses holds up in the desert, through this faith that we carry with us and carry for one another in Jesus Christ, that what has the power and capacity to do us harm, to kill us, to disappoint us, once we face it, can also be a bearer of life, and life anew, and life abundant. And so I hope that you will join me this Lent, having faith and believing these words of Jesus. Just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever sees him and believes in him, may have eternal life. Amen.